Season 3, Episode 10, Stats of Matter. Finals recap. Mm-hmm. NBA and NHL. Live, laugh, love golf again. And we'll do a quick double hit about Formula 1, some NBA trades and opt-outs in our cups this week. It's an Imperial Porter, aged in whiskey barrels from San Diego, California. Shout out Modern Times and Bottle Logic. Shout out Ben from Rainier Growlers for the for the collab hookup. And uh, you got a New England IPA from someplace in Connecticut called North Haven from Fat Orange Cat. I don't know, just... They're all they're all melding together at this point for no. me. Follow no, no. us <laughs> on Instagram at stats don't matter and on Twitter at stats podcast for all things beer and sports. And find stats don't matter wherever you get your podcasts: Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Google. Tim, let's get into the damn show. Go. Oh. Damn. Listen, I got him. I got. On. Welcome back for anybody yes. uh, who who. May have forgotten Sam was traveling all last week, so we ended up with uh, a week off. So we did, we did. You know, I, I do, I do travel a bit for work. Mm. Unfortunately, this time didn't bring any beer back. Went to some great beer places. And uh, Tim, have you done the lime scooter thing, or the bird scooter, or the skip scooter? I'm sorry, what? The the those the the scooters that you ride on that you that you pay to unlock and they just. You just scoot along, scoot, scoot. No, but Electric I see them ones. literally uh, stashed all over Hartford, oh, and I can't tell if that's so where people fun. have just decided to leave them, or if like the battery died, or if you reach a certain point of your payment and they just stop working. But I literally see them like <laughs> on the sidewalk everywhere. <laughs> uh, pro- probably, probably yeah, all of the above. But uh, yeah, was was in Indy for work, and uh, definitely, definitely did a lot of scooting. Um, might have, you know, gone down a one way, the wrong way in a bus lane, but topped out at 18 miles an hour, won the race. Cause you know, I live my life a quarter mile at a time, Tim. Just <laughs> like Dominic Toretto. So uh that, that was that was pretty good. But we're back. And good thing, I mean, I need some time off to to heal from this NBA finals, I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're back. Now I had to crack this beer because it is fourteen point eight percent and it is a bomber bottle. So I'm gonna go ahead and be selfish mm-hmm. and uh or be me, <clears throat> whichever you want, whichever stance you take here. Do it. Uh, it's called Cloud Daggers. It's an Imperial Porter aged in weeded whiskey barrels. Weeded whiskey barrels mm-hmm. uh, between Modern Times and Bottle Logic. So really looking forward to this. Uh, Imperial Porters, something I actually, Modern Times has, got, has done a couple of these. Um, I've had their collab with um, Boulevard Brewing. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good too. If you know anything about Modern Times, they do a lot of really good uh, Imperial and adjunct stouts anyways. Um, making roast their own coffee so it's it's pretty good plus i got the glass the modern times glass i got in san diego it's like i gotta i gotta do it mm. i have some of their uh bourbon aged coffee beans mm. uh that i bust out every now and again not as not quite as strong of a uh of a bourbon flavor as i was expecting out of it but it's pretty good pretty good well, doesn't that stuff boil off uh, oh my god! Really, kind of, kind of, kind of hangs around. A little mellow from the get-go. There's a lot. Oh, there's oh. Wow, it's like sweet wheat at first, and now I can just smell the booze. Mm. Here we go. Look on your face does not scream delicious to me. So, I mean. <laughs> I don't really have a, a huge frame of reference for these. But this is like, it's kind of like if a wheat wine and an Imperial Porter had a had a relationship. And then okay. they had a child. Okay. There's a lot of rich like notes I'm getting this, like chocolate and 
And I, I there's a lot of wheat in it too. And the wheat is, oh, it's super sweet. But I don't know that it's necessarily like it's thin too. The head disappears off the beer pretty quickly. Hmm. I'm appreciative of the collab. Fifteen percent. I feel like there should be more flavors than just booze, malt, wheat, and then chocolate. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be hard with this one. I'm gonna give it a three seven. Uh I, I suspect by the time I get about halfway through this, it's not gonna matter what I think about it anyways. But uh you know, Imperial Porter Really easy to drink uh, for having that many um, adjuncts in it anyways to begin with. But really, for whatever reason, I'm just getting more of the sweet wheat, like, you know, like a, like a, like a mash. You know, sometimes when you have like a, like a whiskey, it's like super sweet, right? Mm-hmm. And you like, you, you taste the grain bill a lot. That's what I get in this. I don't hate it. Yeah. But I'm not like, woo, about it either. So three, seven. Oof. Oh, if they're gonna block us from their from their instas. They're gonna go full Kyrie. <clears throat> All right. Um. So I got a welcome to Harga from Fat Orange Cat. Fat Orange Cat is one of those that when I first moved to Connecticut had a lot of hype around it, and it was one of those that everybody tried to get their hands on. Uh, obviously, like everything else, it it started reaching some more distro once the pandemic happened so they're one of those there's that there's trailblazer there's there's a few uh, stubborn beauty i think is another one there's a few of them around here that uh uh post pandemic would we say or wherever we are now in the terms in in terms of uh <laughs> the, the COVID timeline um some of the open availability of some of the more limited ones that you had to go to the brewery to get. It's kind of nice. So when I saw this one, uh, I kind of had to go right in. So I finished building my patio in my backyard and I have been living in it, uh, on it outside ever since. And this can, uh, just screams summer. If you look at it, it's all, Oh yeah, it does like flowery. And you know, it's got that little, uh, I was like fat a orange photo cow. of it right damn now. Ooh, sir. Okay. Take a photo. Okay, okay. Stop yelling at me. God damn. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I saw, I was like, all right, all right. I've been meaning to, to get my hands on and, and try one of these. So uh, I saw this, snatch it up. Kind of fits that uh, that summer motif, if you will. But And uh, it looks great, by the way, your your back patio that, you, that you'd uh, Thanks. The beer does too. 10 out of 10. Would not recommend doing it again. <laughs> just kidding uh man that thing is a pain in the ass i saved myself a ton of money by doing it is it perfect nope uh is it exactly what we needed yeah it's like an extension of our house now it's like a outside living room so it's clutch all right beer time look at that thing that looks Ooh. like a stereotypical new england ipa so looks like a fat orange cat yeah <laughs> <laughs> see what i did there so they get at least to get points for uh for visuals but it smells fantastic Uh, that was a big sip. That was a good sip. That is, <clears throat> that is very good. I'm trying to figure out what it is that <clears throat> just 
exploded in my mouth, uh, for lack of a better description, because something flavor-wise just literally opened up like I was, like, <laughs> like I was uh, eating a lollipop, and you got to the middle where there's some shit in there, and it kind of like, what what were those little lollipops that when you got to the middle they had like the candy powder in it? Ch- no, chur chur chum no. chums. I don't know. Mm-mm. Anyway, it's like that. No, where suddenly no, it's like oh. He- and it's it's an entirely new different flavor. This has that. So you take a sip, and it starts out sweet, and then it like opens up into this like grapefruit, citrus, bitter that just I can't even describe it in any other way other than, than like just pop, like blooms out of it, which is kind of interesting. I don't, I'm not even trying to sound like some beer snob or some some critic but that's the only way i can i can think of it you you take a sip you get that sweet little front end it literally like blooms into this big bitter citrusy flavor and then it quickly moves past and it kind of finishes back with that little sweet i've never had anything like it it's it's but i mean <laughs> i don't know it's, it's almost like a like a feeling that it causes I'm trying to this is how much I've been trying to figure it out. I've had about half the glass already trying to figure out like the mechanics behind this thing. And one sip, everyone knows the rules. is obviously not our rules. All being said, while it's good, it's not. It's not my favorite. It's very grapefruit forward, and 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 not in that like. Not in the the citrusy sort of flavor, but that grapefruit bitterness kind of overpowers a lot of it in that little middle ride as that's going on. So, um, quality wise, like, ooh, excuse me. It, uh, it's like pillowy soft. It's very, very smooth. It's pretty refreshing, but I'm not a big fan of that, that overly like grapefruit style bitter. And that's what I get a lot of this from. So I'm going to give this one a, a three, eight, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> you're giving it a three eight, but you're holding up four fingers. What what were you doing there? I was trying to figure out where I wanted this to land. I I it's I I, I feel like a three eight is a very low score for it because the quality of it feels very good. It feels like uh it's a very well made beer. But from a personal perspective, I'm not a big grapefruit guy. So if you like your IPAs to have that citrus bitterness not the citrus candy sweetness that a lot of places kind of describe uh this one's going to be right on the nose for you uh it's basically a glass full of grapefruit juice um i don't hate it it's 8.5 it's just not my it's not my personal preference my personal choice in styles that's that's too bad these are great beers yeah we just don't necessarily fawn over them. Uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, sometimes it happens. You know, <laughs> we are human. We score less than a four. Mm. <clears throat> Tim. Mm. We are. You say, you, say, you say all I do is score four, 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 no matter what. <laughs> yeah, beer's on my mind. I can never get enough. You know. Anyway, here we go. We're moving into the pod. <laughs> Back bitches. You had, you had me. You had me. Uh, I was. Then you lost I was, me. I was there to you support. Son of a I'm bitch. Like, I'm back. I was like, you know what? I, I agree with you because I actually was thinking while I was coming up with this score. I was like, dude, we do give everything a four. So let's be realistic here. So. Yeah. Crushing the three seven right now. Every time you drink it, you look like you're not happy with yourself. You, you like almost, 
It, I can feel it in that little muscle that oh, connects yeah. your cheekbone. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the back there, you get like a little where you where you where you would gleek from. Yeah, it's just right <laughs> there, like tenses up. Jesus Christ, gleek. I haven't heard that word in forever. Now, question. Okay, we're I'm a big kids, but... I'm a big whiskey guy. Would I enjoy that beer? All right, do you think? Or is it because yeah, you're not you a would. huge whiskey guy? It it definitely is very wheat. Um, like, you know, in some barrel aged beers, it takes on the characteristics. You you need to have an adjunct. I feel in a in a wood uh, or barrel aged beer that that definitely takes enough of the bite off of um, the booze and the beer itself. But like, it can't it can't be overpowering. Like, I taste barrel in this more than I taste like. I think what what everything else is supposed to be there, you know. And for a porter, yeah. that's a little bit lighter, anyways. You don't want that to be the overpowering flavor profile. I don't think. But I'm yeah, see, that. I'm I'm the opposite. If I'm drinking a barrel aged beer, I want a lot more of that whiskey to come forward than I do. Just like a lot of times, you get like sweeter notes to come across a little bit sweeter with a little level of bourbon to kind of finish it off. But I like mine with that a little bit of punch to it. Does it say what just, kind of barrel it is? Um, what's well, a weeded whiskey? And, and I, I suppose I look on Untapped to see what see what the barrel is. But Tim, think about it like this: you know, like sometimes when you're out in the woods and you see like a down like piece of wood, and you step on it and it cracks and it's got a nice pop, nice snap, crackle pop. Like sure, that's like what a good barrel aged beer should taste like. Then you have some like pieces of wood that are like kind of rotty, kind of mushy. And when you put your foot on it, the whole thing just collapses underneath your, your like your foot, and it's like a tree. I, I gotta be real honest That's with you. This... I'm not. I'm not following you. <laughs> oh Jesus! It, it it's more squishy wood than than uh, okay than snappy wood. Uh, okay. Not that all that makes sense. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Moving uh, on. Uh, let's get into some sports, dude. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk about some sports. We got to recap some of these finals because the finals are over for two sports now: the NBA and the NHL. Yeah. Uh, our beloved Celtics lost in Game Six to the Golden State Warriors. And Tim, if I mm. got to give a, a, a Celtics rating, a, a rating for the team this season, I got to give them an A minus. Man, they came in first year coach. No one was thinking they were going to do anything. They definitely stumbled right the hell out the gates. Um, they pulled together midseason. They made a late season push. They played a lot of fantastic basketball in the postseason. But when it came to the big dance against a team that was superior in almost every facet, in the games where they didn't back down, we really we bought in. We believed that we had a chance. In the games that we wanted to believe we had a chance, they looked in the mirror and they said, I don't know, maybe we don't got it tonight because that's the way that they played. Yeah. Um, overall, A- minus for the season. The future looks incredibly bright. I love what Ime has done to change the conjecture of this team. I think also, and this isn't a hot take, had they got hot sooner, they would not have made it as far. Mm-hmm. I think that they would have burned out. I think that they would have probably lost the Eastern Conference Finals. But whatever they did to get over that hump to get into the finals, now they know what they need to do. But Golden State's reloading and loading. Mm-hmm. And now Curry, Clay, Iggy, and Draymond all have four rings. You know they're not going to be around forever, but you don't have an easy road back to there. Like the Heat will reload. The Bucks were down. Chris Middleton, like we, we said in previous podcasts, like you did the best. I I don't think you did the best you could have done because I think you could have won and 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 hoisted the trophy. 
So that's why I can't give them an outright A or an A plus. Right. But for me, A minus. I, I think that they got they got to get another Marcus Smart or someone who's another defensive uh, player primarily, but can you know score baskets? Because when they go cold, man, they fucking go cold. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think their 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 core is set. To, uh, I think aside from maybe uh, maybe Al Horford, I think is to maybe some some guaranteed money or some some reworking that comes up going into next season but for the most part i think everybody else is locked in at least for another season i don't think we have a we don't have a first round pick this year so yeah i think you know looking back on it there's there's a couple takeaways from the golden state series and and that is that i find that type of game and then modern state of the game boring if I'm being honest, it is. Are you saying like they got lulled to sleep and they just didn't have a... No, what I mean is you stack your team with three-point shooters and then all the basketball game becomes is just pick, dish, attempted three. Pick, dish, attempted three. Pick, dish, attempted three. No matter how nice good they, On the nights they didn't, they didn't hit and they, and they were cold, those are the games that the Celtics should have won, and they didn't. Well, because we got caught up in trying to do the same thing, going out there and just mm. putting up threes. Instead of focusing on just getting points on the board and consistently putting points on the board, it became a three-point shootout where everybody across the field was just pulling up threes. At one point, Green was out putting up threes. He he made a couple. He missed a bunch, but he was even he got caught in the hype of of trying to put up the three-pointer. And it's it's just a in my opinion, it's just such a boring game because you can go down, make an incredible drive, a, a, a fantastic pass. Uh, great dunk, any one of those things, and it doesn't really matter because Golden State is just going to go down and put up three points on the other side. And it can be any one of, like, four guys, five guys on that team who can just kind of drop them at will. They're, I mean, as long as that's their game plan and that's what they're attempting to do while they're out there, it's always going to be somewhat difficult to... I mean, and this is kind of a nod to Steph Curry because he single-handedly changed the... the landscape and the dynamic of the game when you have a high percentage three-point shooter and you pair them up with a couple other high percentage three-point shooters and then the next thing you know you only need to make you know two-thirds of the baskets that your opponents are and you still end up walking away with more points because you eat that extra point every time you get a bucket so in my opinion it's not my favorite game to watch these days um it just it just isn't. I'm not looking for like a three point contest every single time I watch it, but it also reinforced <laughs> it also uh reinforced how much uh work needs to put put into consistently call penalties throughout the games and a bunch of penalties got missed on green, a bunch of penalties got missed on uh smart and flopping and foul. It was just I found myself the more I gone on, the more the series gone on, asking like, like I'm I'm not even really sitting and enjoy, I'm watching them because they're playoffs and and I'm getting you know sort of emotionally invested into these games. But from a fan perspective, I just wasn't I just wasn't feeling it. When you get when you get Tatum going and Brown going, Brown ended up having to pick up uh, a lot more of that slack towards the tail end of the the series, and everyone kind of wondered why it was that Tatum went cold hasn't really come out but i'm i'm really wondering if there was some 
injury or something there that was causing that because it all seemed to coincide with um the the big fall where you know he sat on the court holding his his arm and what was it the uh, game five or six in the series before that against the heat yeah where and it ju he just didn't look the same after overall he played like a superstar we've been talking about him being their marquee player becoming a marquee player becoming a superstar for the last few seasons and he's there now uh when he played well he was a a difference maker when he wasn't playing well it took several guys off the bench to help make up for some of that uh difference in performance um so i mean i think they'll be fine i think with you know given the team that they have probably gonna have to pay some guys a little bit more going down the road because you know some of your bench players who aren't make like grant williams 4.3 million dollars this year to tatum's 30 million dollars <laughs> true true so there's going to be some guys looking to kind of capitalize on it a little bit. There's, there hasn't been any major changes across the across the league, which we'll talk about in a second in terms of some of the opt-in and opt-outs. Everyone's kind of sticking around and staying put. So unless we start getting some, you know, some major trades or something like that that are coming up, you know, I imagine we'll have a very similar season going into next season and barring injuries. I think we'll be back talking about the Celtics again, you know, Heading into the playoffs, just like we have been the last few seasons, uh, they've been yeah. consistently competitive, uh, not only in their division but in the league, and we tend to be perennial playoff contenders. So I suspect we'll probably end up in that same boat. I I, I do like where where they're at, <clears throat> and I do think there's a lot to learn from the season, especially because I feel like the season is one team and the postseason team is another team, right? Like, how does Tatum go from gold to cold? I do not understand it. And I'm mm -hmm. glad we had Jalen Brown because I feel like we probably would have only won one game had some of those other players not stepped up, right? But you mentioned Horford. This is his first NBA Finals in 15 years. How much longer does he want to stick around before, you know, he decides to pack it up? You got some of these players you mentioned want to look for bigger contracts. They've definitely earned that. So how does Steven work his magic now? You know, how does Brad Stevens get the team dynamic to be the same the Celtics first assistant coach has been hired out to become a head coach for Charlotte mm -hmm. what, what are the chances that there's a fire sale that's going to go on that we just don't know about where we start to say well we think that we can get to the finals do we keep all of our key players together or do we see if we can shop a guy like Jalen Brown and get some picks and maybe get another player back you know that we think can compare well I don't think that's the best way to do it at all but you know typically that's what happens sort of in in front office so you know for the future for me tim i'm just sort of thinking like the golden state warriors are just they're gonna be there right mm -hmm. we understand that the lakers ha have a decent team but to be frank there is no team that i'm scared of in the west except for the golden state warriors because we just saw through six games what they're capable of doing when they have an off night when they have a flu game and they don't hit a single three you know in a game for the first time since 2018 uh you know for steph curry like it, it's a different beast, right? And next mm -hmm. year, the road does get harder um, because people will be healthy. There are going to be, you know, trades or, you know, new draft, uh, you know, picks that come in and actually do sort of make a great, you know, presence in the game, sort of like what John Moran did this year. So mm -hmm. I really do think that, like, the future for the Celtics can be as bright as they want it to be. But I think they have to want it to be bright. Um, like, the turnovers thing for me, 
is just abysmal. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like towards the towards the end of the series, there like games five and six, you or I or people like watching the game felt that we could have turned the ball over less because maybe it yeah. was the, the three points and the Avalanche and just trying to just shout out to the Avalanche. We'll talk about them in a bit, but shit, you know, we're down fifteen. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we get back from fifteen? Your stance, and I think it's the correct stance, Tim, is you drive hard in the lane. You go in the paint. You take your chances. You try and get at least a couple shots at the foul line, or maybe you get the end one. Um, But no, they were lulled into thinking, well, if anything you can do, I can do better, right? So I'm going to go ahead and and try and get these pick and rolls, these open looks. We're just going to throw a whole bunch of threes to try and make it back. Mm -hmm. But you waste, you know, four or five minutes in a game attempting to erase that 15-point lead when the team is on the other side of the court just going, we're going to hit them. We're going to hit them. Just keep throwing them. Just keep throwing them. And then they go cold for 15 or 20 minutes, and then they hit everything. And then all of a sudden the game's out of control. Yeah, It, it, can't, it, can't, it can't be brought back. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Take, take the daggers early in the game. Wear them out. Use your physicality, if you've got it, to sort of go hard in the paint. Get you a couple and ones. Don't necessarily rely on on what they're doing and thinking you can do what they're doing better than them. Because I think that's kind of what you're getting at. They thought we can shoot threes all day like the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Trays do whatever the Golden State Trays want to do. And that means for them, sort of like what Chip Kelly, I think, proposed for the Eagles back in the day. We're going to run 85 plays in practice so that we can gas the other team out. But then their own team gets gassed out. The Golden State Warriors seem to have the legs to do this. Maybe just let them do that and then use the defensive film that you got from your series from two hard fought wins and a couple of the games that were close and just say, this is what we have to do from now on. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're going to put it on film, but we're going to be great at doing that. So then you put the fear in that team. If you see them again in the finals next year, that you're not going to be able to just roll over us. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's my fear. I mean, but I that's the, we're going to do that. That's, that's the tough part about this, right? Is you can say that, and you go, oh, well, you know, we're, we're, they're aggressive, uh, middle of the court play and, and you know constantly pressing pressing the ball and you know rebounding and all that stuff that that's great but if you can consistently hit a three it doesn't matter because it, okay it's almost like you say yep we'll let them take those inside the key shots we'll let them well we'll we'll go a little bit softer with our defense uh, in the middle and let them get you know. Try try to avoid penalties, but let them get up and and, and get their two points because we're going to go down and and put up a three. Like you're taking a two point lead every two times that that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, it's I mean it it's confidence in your ability to constantly and consistently put up three pointers without having to worry necessarily about what that team is doing. It's great ball movement, which they've been you know one of the best at in for a very very long time. Um, and just outlasting the team. Every game in that series had one quarter where one team ran away with it. Fortunately, yep. if you look at the Celtics and those uh, those quarters where they really struggled and they gave away the most amount of points, it's because we were starting to get loose with the ball. We were giving the ball away because the amount of turnovers they had were just insane. I think we did a breakdown of the, the Heat series, and I think one of the first or second games uh, in the Golden State series and we looked, and in every one of those games that they lost, and especially the ones they lost significantly, the uh, turnovers were like well into the double digits. They were they were turning the ball over twelve to seventeen times in some of those games. And you're like, what? 
you give the ball yeah. to Golden State 17 extra times and they make half of those, I mean, that is that that's an incredible point difference. You're looking at let's say they make 8 of those turnovers. Now you're looking at a 24 point difference between uh what they would have had had you not turned the ball over, even if you like missed the ball or or took a shot and you know got the rebound anything other than just giving them the ball to march back down the court and attempt to make another three that's that's a staggering number of points you're just giving away to the other team and if you're a team like golden state and you get that much of a buffer we did see a couple times where they went up big and celtics fought back and you thought there was a chance that they were going to turn some of those games around but and we, we did turn one of those around but for the most part you give them a buffer like that you keep giving them those extra chances it's going to bite you in the ass in the long run. That's exactly what ended up happening. I mean, I'm not going to blame and point fingers at Tatum saying this is his fault because he went cold because however, the combo of him and Brown pretty much the entire season have been lights out ever since the All-Star break. Like Tatum's been averaging like 30 points a game. And the but defense is ske- cold. He's cold, though. Well, he's the first he's the first NBA player in history to have 100 turnovers in the postseason. But if you if you look at the way in a single postseason that that's that's astonishing yeah that, but, that's a stat that doesn't matter that you don't want anyone to talk about whatsoever well that's I mean if you take a guy like Tatum and you look at the way that a lot of teams were playing against him defensively they were basically trying to isolate him in two man coverage and forcing him to make plays which is why there were some games where he was almost non-existent for a while where you had the entire bench kind of picking up so. If you mix that level of defensive strategy with any sort of injury or, or off play, it's going to amount to some tough minutes uh, in every game that are out there. But unless you're, I mean, if you're Golden State and you try and isolate one player, they have three others that are going to burn you no matter what. And there's just no yeah. way to isolate a single player and remove them from the equation. We did it um, uh, with Giannis. In the Bucks, that's we, they were able to. I mean, he still went out and you know went crazy. He had a couple really good games, but for the most part, they focused a lot of their defense on him because who else on that team were we going to be worried about trying to make any kind of big plays or any stops or anything like that? So I don't know if they have the same amount. I mean, Brown and Jalen are a packaged deal that play well off of each other and help generate a large number of points. I mean, the two of them scored, I think, 30 points in eight games, nine games or something like that this season. I don't remember the exact stat, but they both fed off of each other. If a team was going against one, you can rely on the other. But we saw that a little bit in this playoffs. But if you can almost all but remove defensively Tatum from the equation, there isn't anybody else in this team that I would deem like a threat to carry us through a playoff series. It has to be a combined effort. So if Tatum is having an off night because defensively they're playing into that and he's just not hitting, I mean, he's not getting a lot of good looks and some of his four shots aren't going in, it needs to be several guys who are going in and need to be on their A game. And there are some of these games where that just wasn't, it just wasn't there. Some of the, some of the output from these guys would kind of ebb and flow throughout it. And you have a night where he's off and they're playing him double team and, and removing him from from the equation and then you know two or three other guys have like a you know a mediocre night in, in their equivalency 
you just there's nothing you're going to do about it it's, it's just not going to pan out so i don't know if i would yeah solely put the blame on him it's 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 tough seeing his point output and then and seeing what he ended up with in the finals but i think a lot of that had to do with defensive strategies specifically to remove him from from being their biggest threat could be we we yeah. to see how it goes next season tim let's, let's wrap this up before we move on to the nhl finals let's say golden state goes back next year Let's say they win next year. Yeah. Now Curry, Clay, Iggy, and Draymond have a fifth ring. Does the Michael Jordan is the goat? LeBron's not the goat because he doesn't have six rings. Does that does that all of a sudden become arbitrary? Is your style of thought going to change on that? If four people have five rings, like Kobe, right and I don't think the team can last forever. Mm-hmm. But I think we do have to pay attention to the fact that, like, Golden State's been in, in Dynasty 2.0 right now. Sort of like the Patriots were um, around the 2009, 10, 11 phase, right? Mm-hmm. So knowing, you know, what we know about their first Dynasty with Kevin Durant and, you know, how he came in and ch- sort of changed that team, and now the team is more led by Steph, like, and they're getting these younger players, which are incredible for them. If they get a fifth ring, everyone's going to be talking about matching Jordan. And then all of a sudden, if they do, is LeBron James in the GOAT conversation anymore when you have Curry, Clay, Iggy, and Draymond? Yeah, <laughs> if, if they I, all stay together, you know what I mean? Like, like that, that's what it makes it arbitrary. Like, we've all talked about, like, Bill Russell has 11. So, like, why are we even talking about, you know, um, MJ LeBron with six? Like, who's the greatest player? You can talk about influence. But you talk about influence in the game. I think that the Splash Brothers have an incredible amount of influence in this game right now. So, like, I don't know. I'm gonna take a deep breath here. Yeah, nah, I <laughs> but, don't. You know, nah. I mean, I don't. I don't think they end up in this. So the only one of them that I think gets some consideration in that conversation, I think, is Steph Curry for a few different reasons. Um, one, he's almost single-handedly changed the look and feel of the game across the board. Right, ever since he came in and, and started making these circus shots, it's become a mimic. I mean, it's always been a mimic league, but now everyone is trying to put a shooter on the bench. Everyone, back in the day, you had someone who could make three points and they were like a unicorn, right? Uh, now it's every team has a couple guys that they can rely on to put up three pointers. I mean, we saw the Celtics do it with their bench guys, we saw Tatum doing it, we saw Brown doing it. Uh, so it's a different look and feel. Like, you would have to, you wouldn't be comparing, I think a team to an individual it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the golden state warriors compared to jordan it would be uh the jordan era bulls against the golden state warrior like steph curry led golden state warriors so i don't know if it if it necessarily tarnishes or does anything to you know the the greatest of all time conversation between jordan and and uh LeBron, I don't think that shifts. It may introduce Curry into that equation, but you can't take a team that has as many guys on the roster to put up three points in these gaudy numbers and say that, oh, they are collectively better than one player. Obviously, that's one player. If you, you Why? To- we, did that, we did that with the Chicago Bulls. What do you mean? They, they had an incredible team between Jordan and all, all those but- like. Sure, but they had an incredible team 
but to look and see what Jordan did single-handedly throughout the duration of his career as other players came and went. Like, he had that stretch with with Pippen and Rodman, which is the team we tend to talk about the most, and they had all of that success, and that conversation comes up. But if you look at the overall contributions over the course of his career, he still did plenty without those guys. He still won plenty of games. He went on. LeBron has done it on multiple teams. He has helped lead uh, lead teams to playoffs almost every single year, and he so carries you're making my teams. LeBron argument for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, the di- the difference being taking some of the playoffs and then finishing a playoffs with the ring is is you know obviously a, a conversation they have now. But it's a it's a very different feel and look to the game now than what Jordan had to play in. In, in Jordan's era, you could go up and get an elbow to the face, and you know it is what it is. Now every single play, you got LeBron either throwing himself around or throwing his hands up, waiting for a call. You see him taking plays off and trotting down and, and skipping defensively. So if you look at the game as a whole and how each player is involved in both aspects of the court, what the games look like now, everything does skew, you know, whether that's fair or not, you, you can't help what era you're playing in. But the era currently is a much softer league than it was during the Jordan era, which I think is why a lot of people look at, at that era and, and that, that gameplay as being so much more physical and so much more demanding than what today's game is. I mean, you you brush a pinky against the forearm at any point during the shot, and that's a that's a penalty. And and now we have quote unquote exaggerators of contact that are kind of leading a lot of this. So it's just I don't think it's a it those two I don't necessarily equate to an apples to apples comparison between Jordan and LeBron anyway. But then when you take the Golden State Warriors as a whole and mix them into it, if you removed Clay and you removed uh, everybody but Steph, would they still have that same level of success? Or if you had Steph and then uh, a handful of guys who were maybe good point guards and and good rebounders and were able to get in and and make some defensive plays similar to the way some of those uh, old Bulls teams were built, um, would you end up with the same results with just one guy who's capable of putting up threes? No, you basically took four guys and you put them out there and said, okay, just make half of your three points and we're going to win almost every single game. It's then the, the team dynamic and the build is built on large number outputs. It's basically money ball in basketball terms. And I think you can't take a group of guys that are, uh, are, using that play style and say they are now better than the guys who were, you know, incredible dunkers, rebounders, shooters, their their field goal percentages are high, all that stuff, and say these guys who specialize in shooting three-pointers are better than these guys who are more well-rounded. You can compare the teams and just say without looking, if you didn't look at any footage of the game, you just went, you would just went, strictly off numbers you could say statistically look at the numbers look at the points per game look at their uh their um their shot attempts versus field goals made you can look at all those things and say oh yeah this team is a a much more consistent uh and point hungry team versus any one of those other teams but i think if you pluck two or three of those three-point shooters out of the golden state warriors you'd end up in a situation like they were last season where they literally were in last place 
dealing with when Clay wasn't in. You had injuries everywhere, and they were literally in last place because they couldn't put up. They couldn't put up wins. They couldn't put up. They couldn't close out series, and it was that was a, a prime example of what happens when you take a team that's so re- reliant on everybody making threes, and you remove one of the best three point shooters and rely on one person. It's a very different look where you have Curry, who's going to put up 30, 35 points a game, but the rest of the team isn't contributing at that same level. And then you bring Clay back into the fold, and now you have two guys who are putting up 30 points a game, and that's an easy 60 every single time those two are on the court. You sprinkle in, you know, some of the other guys who are, you know, like when Durant was putting up points, all those guys are putting up points over the last few years. Very easy to win games if two of your players are scoring 60 points off of three-point attempts. So, not not an apples-to-apples comparison, in my opinion. I I just think think it'd be interesting if we talk about rings all the time and all of a sudden a team with three or four players decides to get to five rings. Then... I think I think the conversation would be had. So we'll we'll come back to that. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 do some and some NHL. Right. Boy, were we were we wrong on these predictions. Yeah. Um. Congrats to the Avalanche. First Cup win since like '91, which is insane. It's so hard to get to the Stanley Cup Finals and for them to do it in the way that they did. I mean, shout out to them. They swept two teams. Count them two on route to the finals in the first and the third round. I, I mean, I guess we should have seen the running on the ice there, but. Tampa was loaded, and they're repeat back-to-back champions. So even though it's hard to three-peat, almost like the smart betting money was on them because they've been there before, they have more experience, but like they're both now early like betting favorites to hoist the cup next year. Mm. So we're going to see them back, even with a controversial end to Game 5 when maybe there was too many people on the ice in OT. The Avs just had more of the tank. They're a younger team. They're a more balanced team. They have players who can do more than mm-hmm. Tampa, which is settled in. I, I think this is the perfect example of Tampa is so good at what they do. They're settled. Tim has his role. Sam has his role. The coach has their role. And that's just the way it is. And the abs are like, oh, you can also play for Tim. Maybe we should do that in certain you know instances where it's advantageous for us. Mm-hmm. They just had more in the tank at the end of it. I mean, they swept two teams. It's hard to sweep any team. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievably hard to do it twice in a season. It's ungodly to, to think about doing it in the postseason. It's just not. It's just not there. Yeah. And that that it, the the Tampa Bay Lightning were in very very close contention to going down three one, um, and they weren't. And I, I think there's a lot of good takeaways from that. But I think that the Avalanche, kind of like the Denver Nuggets from a couple of years ago, were that team that no one's really paying attention to at all. <laughs> but now, holy shit, they're here. They're going to stay together for the most part. And I think this is scary good for hockey going forward. I really do think it is. I just didn't want Tampa, another warm weather team, to win a Stanley Cup. I just, it, it just feels weird to me. Right? It would be like yeah. if, um, if you know, I, I don't know. I, I actually love when the warm weather teams like Las Vegas and whatnot are in contention of and, and win. Too. Just of because you do, just because it shows you that the reach of the game is a lot more than just the the Northeast and, and the Midwest and, and all the, you know, in Canada. Um, but well, I mean, there was a couple big takeaways and I don't necessarily agree that they weren't on anybody's radar because they were the preseason favorites to win. Uh, really? Yeah. So, well, I wasn't paying attention to much outside of the Bruins cause I thought you know, <laughs> all the change and the stuff I, you know, I was trying to pay more attention to that team this year. I'm not trying to pay this, attention, but shout out to Russell Wilson, lifelong, uh, Colorado avalanche fan. 
Apparently. I mean, he's he's all in that uh, that Colorado living now, you know. <laughs> you know, they, they had a they had a this is a quick detour. They had like a little Seattle Legends basketball game this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Most of the 2013 Super uh, Super Bowl winning Seahawks were there. Russ wasn't there. Yeah, Marshawn was though. From, Sherman was. They're from Seattle anymore, man. He's moving on. Don't uh, talk to me about it, Tim. Just <laughs> talk about fucking hockey. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's the Avalanche had a, a I mean, a, a fantastic season. Tampa came into this series with a I think NHL record eleven straight playoff wins, which obviously is fantastic until you get it, you know, crushed in the playoffs. Unfortunately, uh, but they finished uh, most wins in a season, tied with um, the Red Wings from '96, the Oilers from '84. And the Canadians in 77 with a total of 72 wins, including the playoffs. Uh, that is just almost impossible to overcome a team that is playing that well. And their buildup has been like slow and gradual ever since 2016, where they've had the 2016-2017 season. They were uh, they were just not great. I think they were. <laughs> uh, I think they were like close to the bottom of the league, and then it kind of increased a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more until this season so like you had a lot of buy-in over the last few years of folks who were willing to make contract adjustments who were willing to make sacrifices to keep the core team together and it was a team effort where everybody bought into it and you kind of saw a lot of that uh during the the post game when they won you know that's that was one of the messages across the board is like a lot of guys made a lot of sacrifices to make this happen a lot of guys um, came into this seeing the vision and everybody being part of all of this, and there was a lot of just there's a lot of buy-in. So I think this is a team that you know it's I'm not going to say it's a generational team, but it's a team that kind of really buys into the sum of its parts being equal to more yeah. than any one individual player. Um, so I mean, it was great to see. There's a lot of things that they had that went their way. They had the most. Uh, comeback wins of all time in this postseason. They had 10 games they came back from. Um, I think to go into next season, also the favorites to win with, was it the Maple Leafs, I think, second, and then Tampa was third again, I think. I I, I can't remember the, the breakdown, but I know they're, they're favorites to win again going into to next season. I just think they're a team that's built for longevity i don't necessarily mean like year over year but i mean throughout the course of the season dealing with adversity dealing with injuries they had a couple had a couple series where they were out several several players several big key players due to injuries and they kept finding ways to put up wins and and earn points i say earn points because if you're not a hockey fan a lot of the playoff picture and and the season comes down to uh how many points they earn so um Winning, tying, overtime wins, they all generate points. You could still lose a game, but if you went into overtime, you still got points for that game. So it can be a little confusing. We'll do a breakdown of that at some other point. But uh, they were just consistently putting up points, even in games where they weren't winning, but they were pushing it into overtime. They were still leaving with points to, to take away. So... I think over over the course of the off season and, and into next season, they may probably they may restructure a few other contracts to keep everybody together. But 
I think for the next year or two, this is a team that you have to, to worry about. I'm not any less worried about the Lightning, in my opinion. I think they're still... You know, yeah, they're they still had, dangerous. Yeah, they had a lot of adversity. They had to overcome. They unfortunately fell short of that, but they had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of things that didn't go their way towards the tail end of the season into the postseason. They still found a way to, to put up like big wins in some of those series. Again, they had 11 wins in a row. That's that's incredible for any stretch of hockey, let alone playoff hockey. So I'm st- I, I don't regret making my pick. I, I do think that I the, yeah, I, I, th- I am totally comfortable with uh, uh, I'm totally comfortable with the lightning pick. Um, so, I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, but I think they're another team that the avalanche and, and the lightning are going to be teams. We're probably following and, and talking about, the same time next year which uh a quick note hockey season's gotten so long it's july <laughs> and we're talking about a hockey still so maybe they need to kind of shift that around a little bit because we're Shorten talking about we're talking about a uh a sport played on ice in the middle of you know 89 degree weather now <laughs> hundo p hundo p <clears throat> of course the way to get us the uh the the Bruins a grade it would be like like a like a C plus but B minus but yeah. anyways let's 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 talk let's get this, this double quick hit here we we got to talk a little bit about the the NBA trades opt out Kyrie Kyrie me a river yeah did yeah. you practice that I did. And then I just I just fucked it up as I was trying to say it because <laughs> I tried to sing it like Justin Timberlake, "Cry, Caribbean River." Um, he was given hey, a chance to seek a trade, buddy. Thank you, number. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> he was given a chance to seek a trade, and then he decides yeah. he wants to stick with, with the Nets after all. For, I mean, I don't know that thirty-eight million dollars has anything to do with it. Um, yep. And then Russell Westbrook decides to go after Skip Bayless on Twitter after Skip tries to do Skip Bayless things. Look, there's it, just you would think there'd be a lot that was going on, but. NBA trade tracker, like as of today, like nothing super. Like I mean, Deontay Murray to the Hawks and the Spurs get Danilo Gallinari with one, two, three first round picks, but like on odd years, twenty twenty three, twenty five, twenty seven, and a future pick swap. Like uh, I don't feel like the. I mean, I know the Spurs think they got a lot out of that trade, but like Deontay Murray is like a good player. Mm -hmm. So shout out to the Hawks to to, you know to pick them up. But like, there's not really. I, I just feel like. There's all this speculation. Oh, what's going to happen? Are we going to get big trades and opt-outs? James Harden opts out of his contract so we can sign a free agent contract. Come on. Everyone with the Sixers. Yeah, I just, just. I mean, of, of the of the uh, of the some of the better talents that's out there. Uh, Kyrie Irving already opted into the the player option. Um, uh, James Harden. He's going to end up with the 76ers, I, I think I saw just before this. But you have Russell Westbrook, who I think opted into his uh, with the Lakers. So those three big names are off the board, but that still leaves you with Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, DeAndre Ayton, Jalen Brunson, Miles Bridges as some of the better talent that's still kind of floating around out there. Um, earlier today when I was kind of looking into some of this, the one of the surprising statistics that I had uh, – that I had seen Kyrie Irving, right? Or, or as you called him, Kyrie Mia River. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
in all of his availability, guess how many games he has actually in his career started, percentage-wise? Would you say? I don't like fifty or sixty percent. Ah, okay, it's a little better than that. Seventy percent. Oh, okay. Oh, that, oh, that's good. That, that's really good. It's not great. It's seventy percent. It's three quarters right. of the time almost. You know, you know who he's not. I mean, who he's floating around the same numbers with? A player by the oh, name of Yao Ming, then. who just missed a shit ton of games. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it was all seven foot six and probably dealing with a lot more than you know, problems like bone needing, integrity because you needing to sage a, a stadium because he, you know, come on now. Come on. Now, yeah, no, but I mean, it's I, I, I think it's, I think it speaks to, I mean, 70% sounds like a good number, but that is a significant portion of the games that you are actually missing 30% of the games in your career. You were not present for. That is yep. that is more alarming, I think, than what I think we're actually giving it uh, any credence to. That is that is quite a bit. And if you are, you know, we've we've said the same cliche statement over and over and over. The best availability, uh, the best ability is availability. It's availability, right? Yep. So if you have a player who at any given point might decide to opt out of like three weeks for his whatever reason, he decides to maybe open up an encyclopedia and, and learn a few things potentially, or. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for anybody who doesn't know what an encyclopedia is because you're a child, uh, they're books that literally had everything you could think of in it. Um, watch the Friends episode where Joey buys one from uh, Penn from Penn and Teller. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if we're looking at uh, the, the stat I think I saw was uh, the lowest percentage of games played in a career by folks who had like seven all star appearances or more. Which is is a pretty aggressive, uh, pretty pretty granular statistic. Um, but you had Yao Ming, sixty five point nine, Lonzo Morning, sixty six point zero, Grant Hill, sixty seven point nine, and Kyler, <laughs> Kyler, Kyrie Irving at seventy point six. So, Woo! so barely in the seventies. Yeah, okay. your point makes sense there. So, I mean, he's a he's an elite scorer. Um, uh, most points per chance on, on any of the drives he takes, he's like third in the league. So when he is playing, he is an effective uh, offensive player. So we can't take away what he brings to the court. It's just whether or not he is there to actually bring it to the court, which is a something that will always be taken into consideration. Um, There's some talk of him going to L.A. I don't know what, what, what happened there or why he yep. declined that, but... Would we'll have been see. great, but we'll I, see. I don't think I don't think I don't think the money was right. Mm. Um, I mean, other trades: Wizards acquire Monte Morris and uh, Will Barton from the Nuggets. We get uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope and Ish Smith, and then the Knicks trade um, Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks, and they get two future second round picks and cash considerations. This is all from mm. Worldwide Leader. Nothing, nothing like just a, a very regularly, you know, quiet day. So, well. we'll <laughs> We'll Just see the how beginning, much sir. these trades have it. Just the beginning. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> here we go. Um, we'll do a, a little quick hit here on a little Formula One before we end the episode. Sats and podcast talking about Live Laugh Golf 2.0. Um, one of the biggest things here, and Tim, I know you're a huge F1 fan, so you probably know this, but mm. uh, three times world champion. I can't remember his first name. His last name is Piquet. Uh, he's from Brazil. He catches rightful heat. We're not thinking clearly when he was talking about 
seven-time world champion Sir Lewis Hamilton. On a, in a podcast in 2021, um, he was referring to a crash at the British Grand Prix between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, and he referred to Lewis um, as that guy, and then the rough translation of that guy in Brasiliano is the you know Brazilian version of the of the N word. Okay, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of people started picking this out. Now the British Grand Prix is this upcoming weekend. Um, Formula One, all the drivers, the teams came out and you know completely condemned it. Um, and it took Pinquet 24 hours to produce a public apology. And when he did, he said his words were mistranslated. Um, you know, he said, I would never say racist things. The phrase was common in Brazil, was taken out of context. Try again, boss. Try the fuck again. Okay. <laughs> this guy's made fun of people's wives mm-hmm. being ugly. And he also noted he was a better driver than Art and Senna, who's an F1 legend who died in a crash. He's like, oh, who's better, me or Art and Senna? Well, I'm alive. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. This is exactly who this dude is. F1's banned him from the paddock. I'm cool with it, 100%. And if there's anyone in the world who believes on some weird stretch of Mars or Earth that, well, they say it so we can say it, you are dead wrong. You're just dead wrong. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a term of endearment in your country. The, 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 the roots of the word have and always will be racially connotated in a charged power stance and not for the benefactor of people who are black. So just don't ever fucking say it. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't. So that's what I'll say about that. Now, he's a three-time world champion. He's catching all the heat that he absolutely deserves. You know, the band might be a little too aggressive in some people's minds, but I think it's I think it's correct because, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, Kelly, you know, Kelly Pinkett, his daughter, is dating Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen's dad, dad Josh Verstappen. You know, you Google that dude. You know, there's a lot of things that you're not actually far-fetched here. I just hate how Sir Lewis Hamilton is one of the only black drivers in Formula 1 history. He's the only um, black world champion, world driver's champion. And we just have these people around the world. It's 2022, and we're still like, ah, it's not a big deal. They mm-hmm. say it, so we can say it. What? What? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. You should just not say it. Let it go. Just fucking say something else. Oh, he crashed into the wall like a fucking doofus? You can say that shit. Oh, he crashed in the wall like a... You can't say that shit. You absolutely can't say that shit. And going and waking 24 hours, making an apology, and then saying, but after you're sorry. Yeah. You know, it's common in our country. Well, there's there's some, some verbiage that's common down south that we probably wouldn't repeat. In normal public conversations, anyway, so it's a hundred percent. So just, like, it's just a weak yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah, it is. Super is. All right, <clears throat> let's end this episode of Stats America podcast. Talk about the Live Laugh Golf Tournament 2.0. Because t- Tim, the way this is going, man, look, we only do a podcast to grow the game, right? We're just trying to grow the game. Yeah. We don't care that there are other podcast hosts that murder people and use their 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 money for you know assassinations. We're just trying to grow the podcast game. We're just mm. trying to grow the game. We're trying to go to the game. That's yeah. the response now from all these players. Yeah. And I get why Liv is attracting a ton of players. A shorter schedule. A time to have more rest and time with their family in between events. But this whole shotgun start and saying you're on the course at the same time, nah, fam. And it doesn't help that the PGA on the other side is like, oh, they're offering $150 million? Hmm. We'll offer $1.5 Like, what? 
Like, they're giving higher purses, but it's not really the best. They're offering more PGA Tour cards, and now they're bringing in more European players and having comparability between the Scottish and European tours to the American tour. Houston, we may have a fucking problem. Because mm. Brooks? Yeah. Brooksy? Brooksy? And DeChambeau? Come on. I feel like we're getting played now. Because not only are the Saudis paying everyone, like Dustin you know, Johnson and um, Phil... But you got Brooks and DeChambeau. I feel like it was supposed to. I feel like in this divorce between PGA and Liv, you were supposed to get one of the kids. You weren't supposed to get both. You know what I mean? Yeah. And no, now I'm just. Uh. That's that's. I think that's. I think you're you're as a and I I mean this without any level of disrespect, but as a casual golf fan, I think mm-hmm, it's easy mm-hmm. to get caught in the big names that you hear frequent and often and those are two names I mean, you patrick hear. reed is now on the tour yep those are league. those are names you hear often patrick reed is usually in the conversation for the wrong reasons because he comes across sometimes as a douche on a on the tournament um he, did, he didn't come across great in this, this press conference until you want yeah uh i think the thing with brooks is the game has kind of caught up to what he had originally brought with that sort of big bulking frame and was able to bomb it, and he was able to. But I don't. No, seriously, interesting, interesting. You, you think that this is like a twilight thing for him? Like this is a, yeah. it not, it's not a chance to grow the game. It's his chance to like cash up and ship out. Yeah. So in the PGA, a lot of the big money comes from winning events, right? And if you can go out consistently and place, this is this is going to be the ultimate difference between like the Live and the the PGA Tour. The Live has that condensed schedule. But if you're someone out trying to make money and you can go out and place in the top 10, top 20 in every one of these tournaments that you go out and play in throughout the entire course of the year for the PGA Tour, you're going to bring home quite a fair amount of money uh, because they pay out for like the top 50 some odd places with like the top 20 getting the big top 10 getting the biggest purse, obviously, with the top three getting the, the lion's share. But you get paid out, you know, for all of those. And someone like... Brooks, who hasn't really made a lot of... He comes into every tournament with a lot of expectations, but has fallen consistently short for a very long time in a lot of those. I think you have a lot more young talent that's coming in that's able to now hit the ball just as far, if not further, but also, like, Colin Morikawa can hit the ball... Morikawa Bell. (laughs) Can drive the ball... (laughs) <laughs> you know, if, if not quite as far as Brooks could when he came in, not that far, but he also has the iron game and everything else to kind of back that up. So in my opinion, I think some of these guys are understanding that their chances of winning more events because the field is more competitive in the PGA. And if you go and you jump ship into a league that has, what, 60 players, the chances of you finishing closer to the top are uh, just statistically Much a little better. bit higher, right? Like at the cut on Saturday is when they dial it down to like the top 60 players. But the that pool is a lot bigger uh, to start with, and you have to play better to get into contention on Saturday and Sunday because you have a much deeper um, you have a much deeper pool that you have to go up against. And on any given day, someone who might not normally be in those top 10 conversations for a tournament might have a game of their career or a round of their career and, and come out and, and put up some decent numbers. And now they're in the conversation. We said that, was it last year? We were talking about the PGA, and I said I was looking forward to seeing some new names because we were seeing the same names over True. and over again. But I don't know the last time 
we went into a tournament talking about Brooks and then going into the weekend, he was still a major part of that conversation. So I think a lot of these players are understanding that their big money days are probably behind them. And this is a quick payout that they're getting just by joining that. And then because a lot of it's focused around team play and performance of the three other members on your the poorly named team, it's the chances of taking home money are a lot higher. Now, what happens if this continues to grow and they bring in more and more players? No longer there's 60, there's 120. Like, what does right. that change for the dynamic? And how does that change I, I the it, payout? I think it does. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And I think it's I, I think it's every time someone tries to launch a, com, a competitive football league to the NFL, you end up seeing what happens in the long run. They all go bankrupt. And they, you know, eventually sort of, like, does anybody know that the American Football League is playing right now? But, that, but that's that's American companies. They have a finite. They have to raise money, like amount of business. Like the Saudis don't have to worry about that. The Saudis probably put and offered Brooks 150 million, and they've already got it. It's just in the bank. So they're just going to keep paying them off of off of an account and like in reserve for the future. Sure, but you know, there like, will be they have the ability some... to, to to last at least a couple rounds in this fight. Sure, but there will be there will be pride that will eventually take place here, where you're knowing you're playing in a lesser league, and you're going to start drawing lower and lower high profile talent. What they'll probably have to do is pay out. You know, let's say viewership for this is is pretty nominal for for this season for them because remember you can only watch this on like youtube or or something like that exactly yep so let's say they don't hit whatever numbers they were expecting to hit next season they may have to pay a little bit more to bring over some talent because there's going to be the the results of what one season looked like and and whether or not they have projected growth or not but let's say three seasons away from now they're still just streaming on YouTube because nobody wants to pick up that contract because there's not enough viewership. Then what happens is some of those contracts expire for some of those players who jump ship. They've made their money. They're what are they? They're just playing for fun now, and they decide, okay, yeah, I'm gonna retire or go back. How are you really going to bring in other? Are you just gonna be sort of like the alternate Champions League where? Guys who are past their prime are jumping over there in hopes to like I'm glad that you brought make that up. some money. Because I think this could all be solved by the PGA just saying we have the the tour is bloated, which is a lot what a lot, a lot of these players are saying this like openly now. There's too many events. We're on the we're on the road too much. Even when you have a week or two off, you're prepping for the next tournament. Blah this and blah that. Mm. Go ahead and make divisions. Make an east division, make a west division, make a north division, make a south division. Based off of where the players live, you know, I, I guess you could say that. And then just say, you know, every four years, you know, the South is going to play the North and the West is going to play the the South and, and this and that, right? And you, you get, like, look what you do in the NFL. You just bounce around and you and you get the Corn Ferry Tour. You get the Players Tour. Everyone plays Waste Management because, let's be honest, Waste Management must be kept at all costs, Tim. Correct? Correct? Yeah. Uh, uh, look yeah. at me. Look at me. Look, yeah. Waste Management or bust, right? Okay? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the thing. And then the Masters, I think, could be a free-for-all. If you qualify, if you make the cut, fuck it. Come on board, right? Because you need you need that sort of procedure behind it. But instead, we have two different types of golf universes right now. We're essentially making the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC Cinematic Universe in golf. And we all know how this is going to end. Because one makes billions off every movie, and the other one doesn't make billions off of movies. They just make billions off comics. So, like, you gotta you got to think hard about this PGA. You can't let the live, laugh, gov, live, laugh, love golf tournament 
just go ahead and just like run laps around you. Because what if they just stay? You you said what if they go to 120? They go to 120, they can still grab a lot of golfers, and it's not going to affect their product right now because they have 60. It's not going to affect their product if they go to 120 because there's a lot of golfers that could go over there. And Tiger Woods turned down a lot of money, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, I, I don't Brooks, think Brooksy going just like really just. I mean, it's kind of pissing I, I, me off. I don't right? think. I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can say that increasing the field would make that much of a difference. The difference being you have, uh, let's say, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 teams with four players apiece, okay? And you are splitting a $25 million purse amongst that group. Take that same $25 million and double the group. Obviously, the, your share of that is going to be a lot less. Now, could they increase the purse? Sure. But now you are really starting to make things a lot more expensive. And my question would be, where is the revenue coming back from? Right? Like, at some point, given no matter how, how bottomless you might feel your financial reserves are, there is a point where you are hemorrhaging money. So you've Correct. already paid out big bloated contracts to a lot of these big name players to come over. You're boasting that you're paying uh, $25 million for the purse for the field and $20 million reserved for the individual competition um, and five for the teams. That's Those are a lot of numbers you're throwing out there that over time, if you continue to say, oh, well, if we bring over more players, we'll just increase it. Okay. Where is that revenue coming from? Are, are YouTube ads? Like I, I don't. Nobody's paying you to. You, I'm not watching. I tell you that. You don't have a. You don't have a, a, a license agreement for broadcasting anywhere. Now maybe with a couple more names, you might get a channel like I don't know ABC or or NBC Sports or somebody to come in and. Yep, we'll I, we'll air I, your I just, your think, match, but I don't. I don't. I just. I don't I'm not. They seeing would. It. There's just too much money that and, and contracts between them and the PGA that I, I don't think they would give up. Like. I think that the players that are going, I think that's why the PGA is like, we're going to ban you. Like, we're going to make an example out of you. And, like, Bryson going didn't shock me. Brooksy going shocks me. Like, you you do a match with the dude, and all of a sudden now you're like, oh, guess I'll go make some money too. Like, I totally get it. And it, and if I just wish the players would just be open and honest. We're, we're going to make some purses, right? There, there, there was a player today, he's an older guy, who said he's been on the road since pretty much 1998 playing mm-hmm. professional golf, chasing his dream. Fantastic for you, dude. Fantastic. But you've been chasing this dream since 1998. We're in 2022. And if you've not made enough money in golf to financially retire, uh, I mean, I, I, I have some questions. You know, I'm not really super versed in golf, but I would think that if, I mean, I have a sister who was born in, in 98, so if you've been playing golf for 24 years mm-hmm. and you've not made enough money to retire, then maybe you shouldn't have stayed in that place that you did for those 24 years. And and I understand that you would go to this place. Now you're gonna make your money and you will be able to retire and set your family up. Look, I get it. I, I absolutely get it. You want a shorter schedule. I get it. You want more money per purse. I get it. But at the same time, for you to say you're trying to grow the game by, by playing a golf tournament organized by the Saudis, whom are still pretty much under the cloud of, 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 you know, not even suspicion. It's, it's pretty much confirmed their human rights abuses are numerous. What's really stopping Brooks or Bryson from, you know, going to a Russian or, or a Chinese golf tournament where either one of those autocratic countries decide to just offer American athletes 
hundreds of millions of rubles or 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 won just to play golf for them and make more money. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. money is the thing that you care about the most, you can use your leverage on on the tour. And I think that these players necessarily joining live, they're getting a quick payday, but like they're severely capping like the ceiling that their career is going to have. That I mean, that's just how I feel about it. I, mm-hmm. I know that the PGA is antiquated. I know there's things you can change about it. But getting a new girlfriend or boyfriend and telling your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that this new this new one is so much better than you because they listen to me and they appreciate me. It's not when you don't believe it, you can't look in the mirror and tell anyone else but yourself that at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, eventually, you're that person calling that, that ex up and saying, <laughs> all right, I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. You, you I, know, will, I will say like that. What are you doing? I, I will say that there is something to be said about, about the – that just grind right and that's where i think they have 100 percent. i think they have the upper hand in that conversation but whether that whether or not that that's something that's sustainable long term or as that field continues to grow but like charles schwartzel for example uh they won the their first tournament um this season and he got 4.5 million dollars for that win right because it was team win and all that stuff his previous earnings in some of his other years, so in twenty the season the twenty 2020, twenty twenty one season, he he brought home two point three million dollars in the PGA, two point six million dollars in the two thousand eleven season, two thousand fifteen to sixteen, two point nine million. So obviously, in one start, he made four point five million dollars. In those other yeah. seasons. 27 starts, 15 starts, 19 starts. So obviously the payout is there, right? You you earned $2.3 million in the 2020-21 season uh, in 27 starts. I think, well, first of all, that speaks a little bit to the quality of your, your game maybe because it's not at its peak and you're probably giving away a lot of tournaments and you're finishing or not making the cut. So that is unfortunately is what it is. But to make more than you did in all of those years in one in one tournament definitely is going to you know bring some attention to that but again i think it speaks to just just making money but in terms of someone like Brooks Kepka for example if i grab him and let's compare him to to Jordan Spieth right and i think this kind of alludes to some of his decision making so Brooks Kepka is 32 Jordan Spieth is 28 Brooks Kepka only has eight PGA Tour victories and 51 top 10 finishes, right? So he had a stellar spike. He kind of maintained for quite a while. He finished, I think, at the Waste Management Open this year in the top five. Um, I think he had another tournament, maybe like the Dell... Um, what is it? The, the, the Dell Technologies... Um, the match play game that they play, I think he finished tied for fifth. And then, like, the Valspar Championship, I think he finished, like, in the top 20 or something like that. But otherwise, he's been pretty mute. But he's only... He had 12 second-place finishes, five third-place finishes, and then 51 top 10s. If you, if, you, if you compare that to Jordan, who's younger, he has 13 wins, uh, 17 second-place finishes. So... That's just one example of someone who just plucked out, you know, another name that we see pretty consistently 
whose game when it's at its peak and, and I think a lot of people kind of shit on Jordan because he's not winning all these tournaments but he's like 11th or, or 12th in the FedEx Cup standings right now because yeah. he's consistent like he won the RBC Heritage he came in second at uh, Brian Nelson um, he came in second at the Pro-Am he's, he's four top 10 finishes this uh, this season um, and he's earned $4.3 million this season? Uh, yeah. So, like, I, I, I think the purses definitely have to increase. But I think, like, the whole get rich quick or get rich or die trying, shout out 50 Cent, is uh, <laughs> not a sustainable business model, man. It's not. It's yeah. just, it just isn't. It, um, also, by the way, did you go to the the tournament this this past weekend? I did not. I did not. There was two of them. Shout one, to Jamie. Was in, one of them was shout in Boston. Shout out to Jamie. Listen to the podcast. We ate buttered, <laughs> buttered noodles. <laughs> <laughs> fought my hangover after the wedding this weekend and uh and we watched it it was it was it was good it was it was a good good tournament nice yeah there was two there's one in boston and then there was the follow the u.s open was in boston this year and then you had uh the travelers which was in connecticut and i did not make it to either one of them i'm kicking myself for it next year i'm gonna make yeah. an attempt to get to one of them we should we should do it we should do it done let's go on a thursday All so right. we can see everybody boom all 150 of the field not the 25 people in the live tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that I, I think I think this is good. That, that's a good pin in it. We'll put we'll put a pin in this episode of Stats Around Podcast. Look, Tim, we're not that far away from OTAs. <laughs> the it makes it makes summer go too quick, and I'm very much looking forward to summer this year. So we're gonna pretend uh, Sam never Sam never said that, right? Because the moment you hear reported to camp. OTA, it's now fall. At the moment, is, you start yeah. seeing football on TV. So let's give it two weeks, and then I'll let you talk right. about it. The, there's a lot of good tennis that's, that's happening, a lot of good yeah. Formula One races, a lot of good golf tournaments that are coming up. Socks are doing good-ish. You know, shout shout out, it. and this is paining me, and I can't believe these words are about to do my mouth. I'm going to try and stop my dry heave as soon as I do. <laughs> <clears throat> as a testament... <clears throat> To what is currently going on in New York? Oh Anybody my God! With, with with the Mets, with the Mets, yes, with yeah. the Mets. I I agree. Yep, just banging out wins and, and not being healthy. One hundred percent. Anybody who's a baseball fan, this is gonna hurt me. Uh, the AL East, right? Anybody who's followed the the Sox knows the hot streak that they have been on, right? They are seven and three in like their last ten games. They're winning by double digits in a lot of their games. Uh I think they're I think if we went out like twenty games, I think there's something crazy like I don't know. Uh I want to say like fifteen and five or, or something. I could probably pull that up. We dug ourselves a pretty deep hole in the beginning of the season because we had that long stretch where we were losing a ton of games. But they are on fire. We're uh on the season, we are 42 of 33. We are 13.5 games behind the Yankees right now, who have a winning per seven winning percentage of 737. I mean, but 56. Remember, and 20. The goddamn Yankees have the Bronx Bombers, right? Like, just, just a, a new guy comes in and just, just puts on the pinstripes. He's a new Bronx Bomber. It's just like they just keep rolling. Like they're like Alabama, 
for shout out to Justin. They're like Alabama for like baseball. They just they just keep putting all kinds of incredible hitters on the team. Yeah, yeah, but I mean like those guys are definitely doing better this year. Uh but I don't know if I would pin it just on that. Their pitching has been lights out. They're I I mean it pains me to say all of this by the way. Like I literally feel gross just talking about it. Uh P, yep. But uh it's just all around. They're playing consistently great baseball. They're uh Everything from batting to to pitching is just working. The Sox are playing, I think, at an equal level, and we just gave we still just gave up over the last. I, I want to say I checked this on Sunday or Monday, and we've given up two games uh, back to them. We were originally like eleven under. I want to say on like Sunday or Monday. So, as no matter how good we are playing, they are playing better baseball. They are a, a legitimate threat to just run the table this entire season as long as everybody on that team can stay healthy. But I'm I'm shocked at to exactly how well it is that they're executing right now. I know the Red Sox will be in the conversation. We're behind Tampa, I think, or tied with Tampa right now. Um, but we're playing Tampa currently. We have this series. We have another one in a few weeks, and then we play a shit ton of games with them in, uh, in August. So there will be a lot of back and forth between those two teams. But, man, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm only doing this because I'm, all, I'm only doing this because my wife and her family are all Yankees fans. But <clears throat> shout out Yankees! But <laughs> <laughs> all right, I need to I need to go wash my mouth out, brush my teeth, and and, and throw up. It's gonna be like that scene in uh in Ace Ventura when he pieces the Einhorn Finkel together. That's gonna be mm-hmm. me for the next ten minutes after this because it. <laughs> My, my tongue feels hairy and swollen. Just by, just from saying that. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Well, let's do that. Let's let's go to put a cap in it. Let's end this episode of Stash and Murder Podcast. And thank everyone very much for listening to this episode. Fuck the Yankees. Um, yeah. But congrats to them for what they're doing. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, everybody. Peace. Peace. Peace.